Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey folks, this is Mark Devine. Welcome to the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Super stoked to have you here. And if you're a longtime listener, hoo to you. I appreciate that. If you're new and you haven't rated this podcast, it really helps if you go rate it wherever you listen to, especially iTunes. I think we've got over a thousand five-star ratings. It really helps for other people to find this podcast. Also refer it to your friends. Just forward them the email or, or share the podcast with them. It's really helpful. Today, I'm super stoked to be offering part two of my fascinating interview with my friend, Dr. Kirk Parsley, Navy SEAL sleep doctor. And in this episode, we talk about all sorts of things related to sleep and longevity and peptides and who knows what else we get into. So enjoy. Hoo-yah. So one thing is you can't sleep more than you need to sleep. Like if there's no physiologic benefit to you sleeping, you're not going to sleep anymore. Unless you're super depressed. Unless you're depressed. I was yeah. going to say, unless unless there's some chemical imbalances yeah. in your brain and then you're you're actually sleeping for a different reason. Right. So if, if you're not in sort of, let's say, a, a psychiatric disorder, then you're only going to sleep as much as you need to sleep to restore, you know, to recover. Now, if you get more rested than you ordinarily get, your normal sleep cues, triggers might be slightly changed. So let's say the weekend decreases, and I'm, I'm not saying this is specifically to you, but d- this is just a, a, a conceptual idea of maybe. So let's say, uh, let's, say, uh, let's say fight or flight is stress of 10. And what, you know, what most people don't know is that stress hormones get this really bad idea, uh, really bad reputation mm-hmm. is that they're bad for, you know, cortisol is bad stresses. Mm-hmm. Like no... Stress hormones are actually normal. Stress hormones keep you awake in proportion to your environment. It's mm-hmm. when there's a mismatch that they're bad for you. So when you have, uh, so what wakes you up in the morning, you specifically without an alarm clock is stress. Like your stress cortisol. hormones come back up. Yeah. So your cortisol comes up. It goes to its lowest point, as I was saying, during deep sleep. That's the lowest stress hormone you'll ever have. And that's, most of that's in the beginning of your sleep. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of the night, your stress hormones are coming back up, your cortisol is coming back up, and at some point it's high enough to wake you up, and then mm-hmm. it goes up proportionally to what you're doing during the day, and if something really stressful happens, it goes all the way mm-hmm. up to fight or flight. And, uh, um, and then it gr- gradually decays over the day, and at some point it gets lower than the point where it wakes you up. So if, let's say a three wakes you up, it gets down to a two, and then you fall asleep. Interesting. So let's say your weekend is you know, this beautiful recovery situation mm-hmm. and your stress hormones, your normal stress hormones are maybe four. And now because you've had this great recovery, your your daily stress hormones are maybe running at a two. Mm-hmm. So now you have lower stress hormones and it's easier for you to fall asleep mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And the it other, takes less to wake you up. And it takes less to wake you up. That's interesting. Beca- um, now, the other thing is that... Uh, what causes what we call sleep pressure. So sleep pressure is different than um, than your physiologic sleep need. So your physiologic sleep need is your your need to recover from everything uh, that you've done during the day. 
And and by recover, I also mean like you've learned a bunch of new stuff and you need to switch it from working memory into long-term memory mm-hmm. and like associate it with other information and whatever. So like all of that are classified as recovery. Mm-hmm. All of that recovery, um, that is set by what you've done during the day. Now, the the uh, what causes you that pressure, and we're really familiar with this from military training, is just, you know, like when you can fall asleep in between parachute jumps, yeah. right? What that pressure is just like, you know, how could anybody possibly fall asleep in that? So like, it's just this overwhelming drive to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is a chemical called adenosine, which mm-hmm. is the byproduct of break down, breaking down ATP. Mm-hmm. So ATP fuels every cell in our body. And it goes down from ATP, which is triphosphate to ADP, di, M, mono. So it's ATP, ADP, AMP, and then just A, which is adenosine. And then adenosine builds up in your brain and it says, we're exhausted. We need to go to sleep. And and there's receptors for adenosine to bind to in your brain. When when those receptors get full, like that's when you're just, you know, walking moron and you just need to sleep. now, interestingly, coffee blocks those receptors. Caffeine blocks those receptors, and that's how it keeps you from feeling that sleep pressure. But the point of it is that that sleep pressure drives you to sleep, and then the first sleep cycle, um, you've heard of the glymphatics, where so uh, so you have obviously cerebral spinal fluid. Your brain is bathed in this. Um, what happens is the the cells that hold the structure of the brain that keep its shape they shrink down by about thirty percent and they create all these canals for for the cerebral spinal fluid to flow through faster and it gets rid of all the adenosine it gets rid of all the waste products of your cells and that first sleep cycle does like ninety percent of that hmm. and then if you have enough stress hormones to be awake um, or if you just don't really have a physiological need to recover anymore and like you've gotten rid of all of that, then the next sleep cycle is really easy to wake up during. So mm-hmm. um, the more activity you do, and this is why the reason that men fall asleep, when even when men are stressed and they have insomnia, they usually fall asleep mm-hmm. at the end of the night. Uh, usually after dinner, they'll fall asleep in their chair or something. Mm-hmm. They sleep for about an hour, hour and a half, and then they wake up, and then they can't go back to sleep. Or even if they get in bed, they pass out, they sleep for an hour and a half, they wake up. Women tend to not fall asleep at all, and then once they fall asleep, they stay asleep. Um, and so that's the female insomnia. And, and that, by and large, is the difference in muscle mass between men and women because a woman's brain is roughly the same size. Mm-hmm but they're dealing with 40% less muscle mass. And so mm-hmm. they aren't, they're dealing with 40% less adenosine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on your weekend, when you're recovering and you're sleeping and maybe you're not as active and you aren't building up as much adenosine, so maybe you don't have as much sleep pressure. Um, and then when you take away that adenosine that, that you did have sleep pressure and you don't have as much stress hormones and you don't have as much, you haven't beaten your body down as mm-hmm. much, you don't have as much to recover from, you know, just relative to your normal state, mm-hmm. your body, your brain and body are just going, oh, we don't really need to recover. And so you're, so you're waking up waking through up. that, right? Yeah. It's only on Monday that this happens to me. Yeah, and, and that, like, really and then I would think you, after you crush yourself a couple of days during the week, like yeah, you usually yeah, do, then everything's back off. to where it is. Well, so. the other question back to the tech was, this is kind of how, you know, we're so addicted to our technology. Like I literally was sitting in bed this morning going, don't move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to blow my sleep score. <laughs> I've done that. I've done that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Finally, I said, screw it. I'm getting up. Yep. 
Yeah, I. So it can't tell besides movement, right? That you're awake, or can it pick it up from the blood um, pressure? Or how no. So the the aura ring definitely picks up multiple does, things. So the the mat to go back to what we we're talking about before that mattress pad that you have yeah, that's pr- that's primarily actigraphy. Okay. Um, I'm assuming there's probably some auditory cues in there where they're catching some respiration. Um, there's probably some, enough sensitivity to catch your heart rate at some it at some ways. Doing, yeah. So, um, so you could get heart rate variability from that. You could get heart rate, and, and like the more things you mix into the algorithm, the more mm-hmm. accurate it is. And the, and just nothing, nothing can get more information than the aura ring, just because it's sampling faster. It's mm-hmm. sampling arterial, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just great tech. Like it's, it's well designed. But again, I need to contact them. They, they should be sponsoring my podcast. <laughs> I think I pissed heartbeat off in the early days before they had the ability to to log the workouts. Yeah, I sent them a note. I said, I don't think this is accurate because it's not tracking any of my. Like, how does it know if I'm doing a kettlebell swing or it's right. just tracking my steps? Right. And I never yeah. heard back from him. You know who? Uh, frustrated with me. Do you know Ian Roy? No. You get him on your podcast. He he was involved. Uh, he's a team guy, and he was involved with. Uh, a corporation. I th- I think they're going public right now, or they just went public. Um, and and that's what they were doing is they they had uh, they had some tech, and I can't remember the f- I can't remember the format of the tech, but they could they could essentially not only figure out what movement you were doing, but they could figure out en- energy expenditure from any movement you're really? doing. So you could that's row, you could go do CrossFit, you could swim, you could run, you could energy. row, you could lift weights, and it, and it knew what you were doing, and it and it would calculate it out, like what your like what your energy expenditure was of it. And he was heavily involved in that. Super, super smart uh, young guy. Mm-hmm. He's probably, I guess he's probably mid-30s maybe. No, I'll have to follow right It's a really, really smart guy. I can get you in. I'll, yeah. I'll get you in touch with him. So you, you have a supplement company, Sleep Remedy. By the way, I use it at least four or five nights a week. Great. It really works well for me for the first four hours. And right. fortunately, you know, if I get up and go to the bathroom, I usually am a one time up in the middle of the night, go to the restroom. Right. Really. I fall back to sleep. I think it's it's great stuff, and um, and that's and that's really all it's good for. It's about four hours. Yeah, uh, but it gives you that first sleep cycle, right? It, right? So it really helps so it. The the idea basically behind it is, you know, if if we if we used the natural cues of the sun and like mm-hmm. we, if we lived like hunter gatherers, and, and if you if you do that, you'd be up and outside every morning first right. thing to get that that early morning blue light, right? Right. That's one of the most key things for your melatonin stores, right? Well, so yeah, early for, morning blue for, light for setting your circadian Set, rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Rhythm. yeah. So um, if if you if if you look at hunter gatherers who live today and they and you say how do they know when to go to sleep and how do they know when to wake up and just what do they do? And you just, and you just track them, which was dark and it's light. Right. Right. And so the sun goes down and they don't fall asleep as soon as the sun goes down. Right. They fall asleep about three hours after the sun goes down. And why? Because there's a bunch of neurochemical changes in your brain that happen. Once the blue light leaves, blue light leaves, the stimulation leaves, you're, you're paying less attention to your environment. And because the sun goes down and they don't have electricity, it's getting colder. So their body temperature goes down. So they decrease blue light, they decrease stimulation, and they decrease body temperature. And about three hours later, they feel like going to sleep. Hmm. And then they fall asleep and they get gradually colder and colder throughout the night. And they and um, then at some point, their stress hormones start going back up, not in small part because they're getting too cold. Hmm. Um, and then somewhere right around the sun coming up, like right before the sun comes up, right around the sun up or right after or the sun the, comes up, the rooster goes they, they feel like waking up and then they wake up and then move on. 
but we don't we don't spend three hours or three and a half hours getting ready for bed. So the whole idea of the supplement was just a well, what changes? What are the what are the nutritional composition changes in your brain that would ordinarily happen during those three hours? Let's just bomb that and try to simulate that. So we mm-hmm. give you all of the essentially we give you all of the constituent ingredients. It's all natural ingredients, right? Yeah. So it's the same stuff that you ordinarily it's it's stuff that's already in your body. We're just super concentrating all of the ingredients to make melatonin and we're giving you a slight dusting of melatonin, hoping that we'll initiate that cascade mm-hmm. the same as if you would have spent three hours getting ready mm-hmm. for bed. Mm-hmm. But then your body has to do all the work. Your brain and your body has to do everything. There's no trick in there. So if you're if if you if your brain doesn't keep the cascade going, then it doesn't do anything for you. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many people when I go to symposiums, I hand out a sample of this and I say, Yeah, give it a try, come back tomorrow and let us know how you feel and they and they come back and they go, man, I slept 12 hours. Like, I haven't slept more than six hours. And, you know, this happens all the time. And I go, there's nothing in there that's going to make you sleep 12 hours. Yeah. Like, all it did was get you into a deeper stage of sleep and perhaps some psychological changes of making it okay for you to get some sleep. And, in mm-hmm. fact, encouraging you to get some sleep because mm-hmm. you want to see how well you that can sleep pl- off of this. Placebo. Yeah. Okay. And, and so – but the the point of the whole reason I was saying all that, the point of that is that there's nothing in that product that isn't in your bladder or your colon mm-hmm. by like four hours into it. It's like mm-hmm. if you don't use it, it's going, it's all going into your urine. What, it's what all would you say to someone who's listening who's still using like an Ambien type sleeping? Yeah. So the difference, the difference being is that, and this, and the only reason I know anything about sleep is because that's what the team guys were doing. They're right. they're taking Ambien and drinking alcohol to get ready to sleep. And they were just destroying all their sleep architecture. So mm-hmm. we've, li- we've lightly touched on it, but there's stages of sleep. Mm-hmm. Different things happen during different stages. And so in between REM sleep and the deep sleep, there's a transition phase that we call stage two sleep. And th- yeah, there's some benefit to that, but it's mainly just what it sounds like. It's mainly just a transition from deep to REM. And REM does different functions. Like think about deep sleep really working on your body and REM really working on your brain. Mm-hmm. Oversimplification, but it's good enough. Um, and, the, and stage two is just like the transition getting in between the two. Mm-hmm. I do sleep studies on SEALs who are taking Ambien. They have a hundred, they have a 99% stage two sleep. Which means they aren't really getting any sleep. Like hmm. it's there's really getting no benefit from it. It's like keeping them alive. <laughs> and that's wow. all. That's all it's doing. Right. And because they're team guys and they have that mentality, put your head down, run harder, and they just keep running harder and running harder. And they wake up at four a.m. and they go, "I'll go to the gym. I'll work out really hard. I'll be super tired tonight, and then I'll just come home and go to sleep." And then they aren't super tired. <laughs> you know, they're super tired at work. And then by the time they get home, they're their cortisol is spiked back up. And so they, well, I'm going to have another Ambien. I'm going to have another alcoholic drink. But Ambien decreases REM sleep by about 80%. It decreases deep sleep by about 20 to 30%. Alcohol does the opposite, decreases deep sleep by about 70 to 80% and decreases REM sleep by 20 to 30%. So you do those two together and you essentially have no sleep, right? You're just getting the transition sleep. Um, so either one of those, uh, they're not really leading to sleep as we know it. Um, so like, I've I've been trying to come up with a good metaphor for that for 10 years. I don't really have one, but um you know certain things are supposed to happen when you're asleep. And if you those things aren't happening, the fact that you're laying down and your eyes are closed and you're not conscious doesn't mean that you're asleep really, mm-hmm. right? It's like right. it's like saying I go to the gym every day. But what you do in that time in the gym well, is what matters. It's not the, the fact yeah, you could go sit you could go sit in the corner and play on your iPhone for an hour and a half and leave. It's totally different 
than if you're doing strength mm-hmm. training or aerobic mm-hmm. training or hit training or like what what are you mm-hmm. doing in there that's going to determine and so that's kind of what what it is like you can be unconscious and you'll and you will be unconscious at some point you deprive yourself of enough sleep or you take enough depressants uh mm-hmm. whether it's alcohol or sleep drugs or sleep supplements that are like kind of physiologic mm-hmm. tricks or whatever all mm-hmm. that stuff yeah you can go unconscious but that doesn't mean you're sleeping and that and it's not the same thing it's not interesting yeah how many hours or let me just put it this way like if you were tracking what's a good quantity of deep sleep and REM sleep to get because sometimes I, I get like an hour of either or yeah and I mean and it still gives me a good score but boy I tell you what when I get an hour and a half to almost two hours of each yeah I mean it's it's there's really a lot rare, by the way. there's a lot of variability to that but the the basic let's say the uh, a kind of safe basic rule would be to say that you have about a third deep sleep and about a third of REM sleep and about a third of transition sleep. Wow. So that would give you, you know, a couple of hours, two and a half hours of each. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a slight favor towards REM sleep. But it's really age dependent too. Um and it and it also depends on like what you're doing. So mm-hmm. Like I was saying, there there is a template. Like every night of sleep is not the same. Mm-hmm. If you go out and run an ultra marathon today, you need more sleep tonight, but you also need different type of recovery than mm-hmm. if you were going to redesign your business over mm-hmm. the next week and you stayed up for mm-hmm. eighteen hours a day doing that. You need you need to, you're going to need a lot more REM sleep. Whereas if you're doing something super physical, super physical that's way more stress on your body than you ordinarily do, you're going to need you're going to need a lot more deep sleep because that's what you're going to recover from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's what you're that's what you've damaged the most is the body. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. the the tissues and the immune system and you know yeah your immune system really you should think of that as your restorative system as well. So like. When you strain a muscle and you strain a tendon or you overuse a joint and you have inflammation, that's immune system, right? Mm-hmm. All that recovery, that's being driven by these same chemical messengers that are involved in fighting off bacterial infections and viral infections mm-hmm. and parasitic infections. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we, we study the body and systems as a way to understand it, but the body doesn't work in systems, right? Like right. everything affects everything Super and everything's always, everything's always working. So, um, like, yeah, I would say in general, think of it as thirds. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that if you're super cognitively driven, it's probably going to be favoring REM. REM. Mm-hmm. And if you're super physically, vid- you know, it's going to be favoring that. And if you're young enough, like, you know, a, I'd say a teenager's probably like 40%, like almost 50% deep sleep and 50% REM. Like there's very little transitional sleep for them. Interesting. Uh, but the older you get, kind of mm-hmm. the ideal, the realistic ideal. So mm-hmm. now you can add in, you know, peptides like DSIP and you can drive, you know, you can drive deep sleep more. Yeah, um, so a peptide is, is just a smaller unit of an amino acid, right? Uh, it's, it's just a combination of amino acids. It's a combination yeah. of amino acids. Yeah. So okay. it's, it's a, so it's a protein. So when right. does a protein become a peptide? Eh, 
Right. <laughs> I don't know. Like it depends on who you're talking to right. and what 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 functions you're looking at. But it's basically just like a series of amino acids. Um, most of most of the peptides that are being studied and used in humans right now are some derivative off of the growth hormone. Mm-hmm. Growth yeah. hormone is a super long peptide. Yeah. It's 187 units. We started I started to take one. It's supposed to be for muscular or muscular development. I'm Which one? Sure. Do you I, know what it is? I don't know. No. Off the top of my head. Um, sure. So most of them are named. So like if you hear, uh, so there's BPC body protective compound one five seven. So that's 157 amino acids along or no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm totally wrong on that. Uh, that's like uh, out of the growth hormone chain. It's, it's peptides one through 57 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, like, that's how most of our name. And I, I might be wrong on that, but th- that's the basic idea of those. Um, and the, and so the, the, the growth hormone, a, lo- a lot of the peptides are affecting your immune system. Um, and a lot of them are affecting your growth hormone pathways or so if you take the entire growth hormone and you chop it up into little segments, each little segment actually has, so your body does do this, right? So you, when you secrete growth hormone, it gets chopped up into a lot of different things. And these little segments, you know, maybe three or four peptides long and maybe 20 peptides long. And they all seem to have these physiological benefits that we don't really know. Like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's like, uh, well, this will make your hair grow faster, uh, makes you, gives you more REM sleep and, uh, you know, boost your immunity to whatever, you mm-hmm. know, the, the certain type of bacterial infection. And it's just like all this random stuff. So it's all kind of this There's really, research, it's this real trial and error right. thing because it is so complex. Nobody really knows like, how is this working? Are these pharmacological, meaning you need a prescription? No, so none of these are none of these are technically approved for human use. So, I mean, there's a few of them, like maybe there's four or five of them, but they all exist in your body already. Right. So that's like that's how we're finding them. It's like we're finding them in people's body and then going, oh, I wonder what this does, and the, right. and the, and then they're doing animal studies on them. But so there are peptides that are basically causing your pituitary gland to secrete more growth hormone. Mm-hmm. And then that's having all the effects that having higher growth hormone would mm-hmm. have, which is essentially a youth, a more youthful level of growth hormone. And there's a couple which of ways. seems like a good thing. Right. Like as opposed to taking exogenous growth hormone, which will shut down your right. ability to produce it. Right. right. And and so the only, the, the only sort of uh, element of caution around that is that we do know that IGF-1 is like the downstream effect of growth hormone. That's the, the serum marker that we use really to figure out how much growth hormone you have. We do know that there is a correlation between higher IGF-1 levels and cancer, certain types of cancer. So which came first, chicken or egg, who knows? But we probably don't want to keep it above the normal range, which is what I do with everything, right? That's so I don't, interesting, yeah. I don't give, well, that, like that, when I replace people's testosterone, I don't take it to higher than they've ever experienced right. in their life. Right. I take it to where it was when they were 25 or 30 and like, right. and we keep it in that normal range. Right. And I think when you take secretagogues, it does that. So when you're taking these peptides, that's causing you to, you're staying within the normal range. You, I, as far as I've seen, you can't take so much of that that it's going to take you outside of the normal range. It's like there's some sort yeah. of check valve in your body. It's like, this is all you make and that's all you that's make. interesting. One of, the hor- one of the peptides I looked at and I thought, well, hey, this would be kind of cool because, you know, I got a few freckles and I got this fair skin and, and it's melanotin. 
it's supposed melanotan. to melanotan. Yeah, it's yeah. supposed to basically increase your pigmentation. I so take I, that. You do. I asked my yeah. doctor. She said, "No, no, because if, you, if you've had some skin cancer before, then it could actually accelerate that." And I have had you know a couple of things cut off. You know, go figure. I probably wasn't designed to live in Southern California. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm the same way. My mom's a redhead. I don't get any tan. So all of this tan I, I have is from melanotan. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, do you, do you was, think that was an accurate uh, assessment, or do you think melanotan would be I, useful for me? See, I don't, I don't think so because here, um, melan. So a, a cancer basically is the genetics of a cell gone awry, right? So there's there's a lack of um, there's a lack of a, you know lack of uh, structure and uh, limitations around a cell, what a cell's doing. So it's. You know, essentially, it's doing activities that it's not supposed to do, or it's doing too much of activities that it is supposed to do, or not doing certain things that it is that it should do to be a normal cell, and that's changing the physiology physiology of that cell. And when it gets abnormal enough, we call it a cancerous cell. Mm-hmm. Before that, it's just an aplastic cell; it just doesn't look quite normal, mm-hmm. but it's just the same continuum. So, um, if if you have a uh, you know, if you have a melanin-driven cancer, right, or that's not the right way to say it. If you have a cancer that's driving melanocyte activities, right, so the, the melanocytes themselves are the cancerous cells. Which is what a melanoma would be. Right. A melanoma would be, it's a cancer of the, of a cell that produces melanin. Mm-hmm. So if you if you have that cancer already and you and you put something in you that's causing you to produce more melanin well then you're just going to expose that cancer like but you already had the cancer right it's like it's like prostate cancer with men they say you can't give an you can't give an elderly man testosterone you cause prostate cancer no you exacerbated prostate cancer that's already there so if they have an androgen sensitive if they have a cancer that's sensitive to testosterone and you give them testosterone then it exposes that cancer that, but you're not causing cancer yeah so I would push back on that and say, well, as long as I'm getting checked, checked up yeah. regularly and I'm going to catch these, you know, melanomas, all I'm doing is I'm causing this to, you know, show itself sooner. That's interesting. Because yeah. you're, you're not going to cause cancer with it, right? I mean, Which no, might be better. Yeah. I, I think it would be better, it like, get it, get it out, get it out in the open know. sooner. We've been going for a while here. This has been such a fascinating conversation, but I would love to talk a little bit about longevity. Yeah. Um, when I read um, Sinclair's book, Lifespan, mm-hmm. right? Of course, I'm like, yeah, bring it on. You know, yeah. went, out, went right out and got some of the stuff that you talked about, right, like right. resveratrol and, yeah, yeah. and uh, MNM and quercetin. Yep. And um, what was the other one? Uh, the Did you diabetes. take metformin? Metformin. metformin? Did you go to metformin? Yeah. 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 yeah, just to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a human guinea pig just like you. Yeah. And um, there's some really good growing evidence that that has a real effect on sl- first slowing aging, but now there's new research around reversing aging, right. you know, like the hyperbaric treatment that you mm-hmm. just went through. Yep. So what, what's your take and, on and where cold, we're heading with this? And ice baths. Ice bath. Ice, Hot, I, cold or just cold? Like, just just ice bath. Uh, a, a daily ice bath looks like that's going to re- reverse genetic aging. Hmm. Uh, hyperbarics, as you said, that reverses genetic aging. Um, metformin, I can't remember if that's just slowing it or if that actually reversed it as well. And and But basically... What we're looking at is the DNA, right? The DNA itself 
um, you know, part of part of DNA having some age to it. So being around for a while and then, um, you know, being, being around for a while currently versus, uh, um, with the addition of being produced longer down the chain. So like, as I get older, my DNA expression changes. Mm -hmm. And then the longer that DNA is around, the more, uh, methylation that, that mm -hmm. gets right. So, uh, Think of it like oxidation of mm -hmm. metal or whatever. It's, it's kind of the same idea. So you you get these methylation um, markers and and uh, strands on the on the DNA strand itself, and then you, as you know, they have the telomere length, which is mm -hmm. like the little end cap that um, that's like the safety valve when you're transcribing when you're copying DNA. If, if you think of uh, think of it like a you know, some sort of scanner that's traveling along a train track, right? Well, if you want to copy the entire train track, then you have to have somewhere for it to go. Mm -hmm. uh, when it, when you get past everything you want to copy, and that's the telomere. Oh, um, and then once that telomere gets short enough, then you and you it can't falls off the you, track. you can't copy you can't copy everything, right? Because it's like you don't have enough. You know, think of it as like the whole train needs to copy. You know, a section of the track, or whatever. If there's no telomere at the end, then the train just goes off the end of the track and it doesn't get to copy everything. Um, so that's that's kind of the idea, the thinking. And of course, it's got to be more complex than that. Mm -hmm. But this is as much as our simple brains We're understand. Using train so analogies like, in the, the most advanced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I and this, awesome. this is all we've got right now. This is just, this is as fancy as <laughs> we can think about choo, it. Choo. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but. So when we say we're reversing genetic age, we're making the telomeres longer and we're decreasing the methylation, or at least we're changing the methylation patterns that are associated with age. Um, and, but what we don't know is that that definitely leads to living longer, right? Right. We, it does in, in uh, mold and like in. Right. So we, we think it should. Some, one other and thing. It, and it, may, it makes sense that it should, right? right. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like cholesterol, right? Like we know, we know that certain cholesterol patterns tend to tend to be associated with cardiac premature cardiac death. We don't know for sure that if we change that, that you're not going to have the same cardiac death. And how mm -hmm. do we know, right? Because mm -hmm. I don't know when you're going to die. Nobody else mm -hmm. knows when you're going to die, mm -hmm. right? So if you're going to die five years from now from a heart attack and we change a bunch of stuff and you die five years from now, we could say we extended his life five years. Or we could say, <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, you know, caused we, it. Yeah, yeah, we don't really know, yeah. right? Um, and so genetic age is like that. Like it, it makes sense when you look at the animal models and you look at plant models, which is easier to study. Um, you, can, you can say, okay, well, as – as people get older, as people get closer to death, they tend to have this pattern in their DNA. Um, and so if we change that pattern, we think until that pattern reemerges, you won't die. But we don't know. Like maybe 20 years from now, people start dying with these really youthful DNA profiles. <laughs> right? right? We don't know. Um, but if you're going to hang your hat on something, you say, well, common things being common, when people die, they tend to look like this. People tend to be fat. People tend to have low muscle mass. People tend to have high cholesterol. People tend mm -hmm. to have high calcif calcification in their arteries, atherosclerosis. People tend to have a genetic pattern that looks like this, mm -hmm. a cognitive pattern that looks like this, a sleep pattern that looks like this, and youthful people look like that. Well, let's change all of that to look more like the youthful person. Mm -hmm. It makes sense you'll live longer mm -hmm. or at least live better. Mm -hmm. And you know what I what I strive for really is performance. So I say... 
I don't know if I can make you live longer, but I can make you live better. Like I can, yeah. I can help you reach that's right that your was, maximum potential. Your right. feel the best you can possibly feel every day. And get as much right. work. There's done. no reason we can't live to 100 plus and be fully active and healthy because it's it's done in the blue zones and right. It's done. There's individuals who crack that code right, and and it could be that you're just you know you're just genetically predisposed to dying kind of prematurely then maybe no matter what we do you're going to die by 75 or something right mm-hmm. i think maybe that's just the way it is we d- again we don't know for sure but wouldn't you wouldn't you much rather be like robust and healthy and feeling strong when mm-hmm. you die at 75 than just like decaying for 25 years from 50 to 75 and dying at 75 either way yeah, so that that's that's my approach on it and then i think Again, common things being common, it just makes sense that if if every biomarker that we have from you looks younger, you're phys- you are physiologically younger. And if you're mm-hmm. if you're gonna de- if you're gonna die at a genetic age of seventy five, and we can make your genetic age of seventy five chronologically ninety nine years old for you, then you're still kind of dying at the same genetically predetermined time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is maybe the case. Again, we don't we don't know. So the research on, let's say, the hyperbaric chamber just shows that it, it changes some of the genetic markers. It extends telomeres. To look it, like they did when they were younger. Yeah. But we're not sure yet if that's going to lead to longer life because we, we haven't had the time. Yeah. We, we won't know until time tested out. Right. It makes sense though, right? And yeah. and I, I would hedge my bets on it if somebody's yeah. like, given my druthers, I'd be like, yeah, I want to be physiologically younger. As you, I want to be physically, physiologically as young as I can be. If I can have a physiologic age, genetic age, you study me under a microscope and you do my labs and I look 25. I can't that's wait. That's how I want to be. Speaking of longevity, this, this, you know, we can end on this note. But we, you know, the, in the realm of metaphysics, like, I can't wait till we have serious conversations about the power of the mind to you know, transform the body. Yeah. Because, you know, We've all seen and heard stories of the yogis and, you know, the advanced spiritual yeah, I, I, traditions. And there's, there's I do the uh, Tibetan rites every day and it's anti-aging, right? And there's yeah. a whole monastery over in Tibet where these people live theoretically for a couple hundred years yeah. just doing this training, I, eating I, really well, eating light, you know, doing all the right things. I think those conversations can be had. They're yeah. just today just just not something i'm qualified to have but <laughs> right. um like i i don't know enough to have that conversation but it it's on i mean i i think it's naive to suggest that your brain the your your brain and what you do with your brain is any less important than what you do with your muscles or your heart or your liver or your kidney or anything else like um you know your your brain is the um what's the conduct the conductor of the mm-hmm. orchestra like your brain is is conducting the orchestra of your body and there's no there's there's no way to get around that like you can you can focus on any area of science, uh, any area of the physiology that you want to and it ultimately comes back because it's being regulated by the brain mm-hmm. and the brain is 100% being regulated by sleep so when you sleep the neurochemistry that you wake up with every day is the neurochemistry you're going through that day with. Mm-hmm. And that de- and that determines 
your food cravings, your willpower, your attention, mm -hmm. your focus, your stress levels, your problem solving abilities, your ability to look into the future, make decisions, like all of that is determined by the hormonal milieu of your brain. And I think of neurotransmitters and neuropeptides as hormones that are mm -hmm. essentially the same thing. In mm -hmm. um, the brain, they're essentially the same thing. All of that's being dictated by how well you're sleeping every night and how well you're sleeping every night is being dictated by what you're doing throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So again, going back to what we originally started with is you, I don't think you can segment sleep out from the rest of the day and say, well, this is when I'm alive and this is when I'm asleep. It's like, this is all part of the process and everything is just as important. So you, if you, if you cut out two hours of sleep a day, that's the same thing as saying you're cutting out 30% of your exercise or 30% of your nutrition or 30% of your stress mitigation or 30% of your personal growth or anything else. It's no different. Like you, you're robbing yourself during the 16 hours you're awake or you're robbing yourself of, during the eight hours mm -hmm. you should be asleep. It doesn't make any difference. Like either way, you're not living up to your potential. That's fascinating. So, um, docpersley.com, what else you got going on? How, how can people find you? And are, are you doing, you're taking clients these days or what's? Um, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of small consults. I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still completely stacked on my annual program. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but if people have particular problems that I, I think I'm the best resource for mm -hmm. helping them, then I'll, I'll, you know, work with them for okay. a couple of hours, you know, five hours over the, over mm -hmm. a couple of weeks or a month or something. I like tell that. you what, when you're talking about one third of your life, yeah, it's probably worth yeah. Taking a look at, especially if it's not working for you. Yeah, and 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 I consult on everything. So like, I'll help people with SARMs and peptides and hormones and all that. Like, I I won't prescribe them you for you unless I'm your doctor. I'll give them vaccine advice if they want to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm I'm not I'm I'm not a virologist, but uh, I slept play at a holiday. You play I slept at a Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Kurt. All right, man. Thanks very much. Appreciate yeah. being here. Appreciate yeah. you having yeah. me. It's good to be social again. Yeah, no doubt. No All right. doubt. All right, folks. Uh, Doc Kirk, Kirk Parsley. Go check him out at docparsley.com. D-O-C-P-A-R-S-L-E-Y. Yep. Just like the dot herb. Com. And uh, thanks for supporting this podcast. Really appreciate it. It takes, uh, takes a lot of work to put these on, and it's very helpful that you support it. Like I said, go rate it if you, uh, if you think it's valuable. Um, and support our sponsors and support our guests and uh, send it to a friend. And on that note, who ya? See you next time. Who to the ya to the ya. Who to the, the ya. <laughs> That's right. Divine out. <laughs> <laughs>